We are live, and I think I've got both Brock and Greg Upham. I know Greg's actually probably in uh, down in uh, his own home area, just doesn't want to drive in the cold up to the house. I get it. I get it. Hello. All right. Greetings to all. We are on uh, lesson 44, and uh, I'll have to be taking on and off my new reading glasses because they're not the kind that you can look over. So, 45 is uh, exactly what we're doing, yes. Yeah, 45. Did I call it 45? You said 45. I did, 45. Yeah, 45. On page 11. So we're seven away from years worth of lessons. It really is astonishing. And as I look at the uh, list of stuff that's left, of course, uh, uh, in, this, in this particular chapter, uh, Paul has mentioned uh, slaves being subservient to their masters, etc. And uh, his next prison epistle uh, was actually to Philemon, a runaway slave. Um, after that, we've got Ephesians, uh, which is one of my all-time favorite uh, books. Then Philippians, which is in second place. Um, and First Timothy, which I think I've studied 15 or 16 times and taught 15 or 16 times. It's getting so old. Uh, then Titus, First Peter, which is pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. And that's so infrequently, I can't wait. And, uh, and then we, uh, we blunder through three areas of Hebrews. I can't wait to do that. That's, uh, I've been talking about that a bunch. Second Timothy, then Second Peter and Jude, First, Second, Third John, and then the Apocalypse. So that's uh, that's what's on the docket. So we're uh, we're almost hitting the, the one year mark, but uh, really in, in a lot of these, especially with uh, Revelation, we're going to find there's just not a lot of Hawkeye in those. So I just want to say that I'm fine with another half a year on all this. I thought this has been a really good study. I I agree with you. And I, I hope the rest of you do too. But uh, you know, I think uh, you know. See, that's that's a comment I'll remember. Scott said a couple of weeks ago. You know, I just can't read the Bible the same way anymore. I'm reading it now with a with a, def a definitive purpose that is making me see it differently. So um, I love that. So uh, so I've got uh, in uh, Colossians chapter three, which we'll uh, continue to read out loud. So turn to that in your Bibles. Um, I really think the chapter break here is, is uh, squirrely, and I think the first verse of chapter 4 should be in chapter 3, um, but picking up in chapter 2 and verse 20, um, it just seems to be tighter fit. If you, I've died with Messiah, I've been raised with Messiah, I've been put to death what is earthly, put on above uh, all, and love, submit, love, obey, you know, it just seemed to fit better if we had moved those lines, but you know, I wasn't the monk that did it. So uh, uh, the whole idea of this particular chapter, uh, if we're in Messiah, then what's on the inside should match what's on the outside and vice versa. So how do we do that? What should our life look like? And uh, in the end of tonight's lesson, I hope we'll be able to say, what is that gold standard for how we should uh, how we should live. So who wants to pick us up uh, in Colossians 3 and verse 1 and take us down to 11? <clears throat> Please, Josiah. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ with Messiah, keep 
seeking things above, where the Messiah is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on thing on your set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Messiah in God. When the Messiah, who is our life, is revealed, then you shall also be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. I'll hold you back up one verse if I could, Josiah. I just want to you know, just make the comment, when Messiah, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What does that mean practically? So it's a quiet night. I can see that. Cold outside. Not as cold as it's been. The low today was 25 degrees hot, higher than the high last week. So it's not nearly as cold. So your brain should be doing better. Let me rephrase this. Are you saying, so in the first sentence, when Christ was your life appears, Right. That would right. be when he comes back. That would be when he comes back. Or, if you don't think he's come previously, that would be when he comes. Gotcha. Then if you have lived righteously, you will also live with him. Isn't that glory? Well, it doesn't say anything about living. It says appearing. Appear. So what's that mean? What, what are you talking about? Come? I don't know. You tell me. What's my answer? It sounds like his coming will be raised with him. That's familiar. I've read that somewhere. Where did I read that? I haven't read there yet. Did we read that? Yeah, we did. First Thessalonians chapter four, oh, verses thirteen through eighteen. Mm -hmm. I thought we did that already. We did we do that already? It's been a little while. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it was a while ago. Caught up. In the, Caught up. Kind of like uh, what we the do in the in the morning when we uh, put our yeah, yeah, seats yeah, and yeah, gather yeah. them together for the four corners. That's together. right. That's right. Yeah. In the in the blessings of the Shema, mm -hmm. right before we do the Shema. So. We call that in the uh, in the Christian Church from the Latin Vulgate rapturo, the rapture, uh, in the New American Standard and most of your uh, uh, English versions, the gathered together, caught up together. What what Jews call that? What do they call? Harpazo. Harpazo. Yeah, that's the Greek for caught up, right? That's good, but I don't think Greek, uh, Jews call it that. But that's good. I would say I'm waiting for the Harpazo myself. But uh, <laughs> I would call and it. they're on sale, by the way, at Whole Foods right now. But, I, would, I would say something like in-gathering or... Okay, the in-gathering or... Separation? I don't know that they do separation as much. But I, it surely is. You're right, Josiah. But I don't think they focus on that. I think they focus on the fact that Messiah... See, we, we focus on the, on the verb. We're going to be caught up. We're going to be snatched away. Wait. We're going, we are going to be hand-selected by him. Right. But their focus is not on the catching up, catching away. Their focus on the fact that Messiah is returning to Jerusalem, and on the way he's gathering his, his elect people. from the four corners of the earth. The chosen people. Right. Perhaps they would say when he establishes his kingdom. Right. Right. Yeah. He's going to sit on the throne of his father David, and he's gathering his elect from the four corners of the earth. These are Tanakh references, not apostolic references. And I think that this gets right back into what we were talking about from chapter 2. Paul, throughout this book, is doing 
essentially like a Cole but Homer argument, light versus heavy. Right. He's comparing, he's contrasting the philosophies of the day with that of Messiah. So he's starting by saying, as you noted, the first chapter 2 kind of is talking about this. Mm. He says in chapter 2, verse 20, why is it if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Right. Verse, at the end of verse 21, he clarifies what that means, according to human precepts and teachings. Well, then he follows up by saying, um, so again, thinking about like those are earthly things. Then he says, "Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth." And then he says, "When Messiah is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory." Again, reinforcing the fact that it's like you're thinking that you can do X, Y, and Z that you know some guru said because that will make you a better person. It's like, but Messiah is offering you like eternal glory. You're talking about like reigning with him in Jerusalem. So this is so over the, the top. The only person you need to be following is him. Exactly. And if you're focused on here, you need to recognize that your life's going to get ripped up a little bit when he comes because we've got a one-way ticket to Jerusalem and we don't need El Al. Okay. Josiah, I beg your pardon for interrupting. You were, uh, why don't you pick up in uh, verse 5 just so that we get the, uh, uh, the passionate bad stuff before we get into the good stuff. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to morality impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. In them you, are, you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you lay aside the old self with its evil practices. And put on the new self, who is being renewed in the true, to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and freeman. But Messiah is all and in all. Okay, nicely done. Thank you, sir. So let's, uh, let's kind of unpack that. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. I don't think the others are necessarily, but you could make a case that they are. Out of those lists, um, the only one that stands out that doesn't seem fit is passion. Well, it depends um, on what you're passionate about, right? Right, but why right. such an ambiguous term? What is it trying to specify? What passion is it specifically saying? Yeah. That was mm -hmm. a sin. That passion could be more like anger. It's in a separate category. Pathos. Pathos. Where else is that word used in the Epistle Scriptures? Romans chapter 1 and verse 26. He says ambiguously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I looked that one up. Well, I, couldn't I, passion I felt the same thing. Yeah. Couldn't passion Here, be... Here's, here's passion the deal. Pathos. Pathos. We get the word pathological from pathos. So this is passion that's pathological. You, you see? Well, it's a sick passion. Do you want to read Romans one twenty six? Yeah, mine as well. So addiction, like that, yeah, yeah, it could fit in that category. Especially one okay. of those sexual addictions. Yeah. Well, this one, the other place it's used is Romans one twenty six. Is this the only other place it's used? It's the only one that I'm aware of. Huh. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for the women exchanged natural limbs for those that are contrary to nature, and they yeah. continues to talk about the gentle depravity right. of mankind. So passions could be homosexual. Yeah. Any, anything that okay. that we would. Today, well, forget that. 
anything that we would in this true. world <laughs> would describe as deviant behavior. Okay. Something something where the mind is torqued out of whack a little bit, okay. right? So, um, like I said, I, I had exactly the same uh, thought. This one doesn't seem to fit. Wait a second. All the rest of these are obviously bad. Passion. I'm sh surely I should be passionate. Um, but this is this is torqued mind. But this one, this bill. Oh, go ahead. There's just one more place. Can you sli slide over one seat yeah. so I have to look through the bill? Yeah. yeah. For, <laughs> anyways. Yeah. First Thessalonians four and five yeah. also uses the same Strong's concordance word. Go ahead. Yeah. And it's, it's uh, not in the lust and not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. There you go. Okay. So just if to you know God, support, this, so is this is not a good. This passion. is not how you would act. Right. Good and it seems you. to be particularly sexual in nature. Yeah. 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 And if you incorporate Romans with that, then it sounds like specifically he's talking about homosexuality or related things. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue that. I'd, I'd let that stand. It may not only be that though, mm -hmm. right? right? You know, um, but that box. A whole bunch of letters, L, B, Q, T, G, yeah, all those come together. Any kind of rainbow type deal would. Troublemaker. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I never but, actually. I liked uh, Josiah's version where he had greed instead of covetousness. And I always think of covetousness not as greed, but as like a desire for something that God has not provided for me. But I think greed is a really great word of that, where you don't have something and you're so greedy in your desires that you actually want something that God has not provided to you. The best description of that word that I've heard is grasping. And I remember in the movie... Uh, Search for the Holy Grail, in Search for the Holy Grail, something like that, with, uh, <laughs> oh, what's come on, it's John, 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 no, 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 not, not <laughs> that um, Oh, well, the three kings, the three wise men, or, no, 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 the large, no, Indiana Jones, thank you, um, so he, gets a, he finally gets the Holy Grail from yeah. the old guy who finally passes out there yeah. because his dad got stabbed or shot in the gut. And he pours the Spoiler the alert. Water. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's only been out 30 years if you missed that. Sorry. So he pours the water out of the grail and he heals his dad, right? And it immediately washes away. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So what happened to the, what happened to the cup? It fell into the chasm. And the beautiful woman... He's like, Helga or Elga, whatever her name was, give me your hand. It's okay. And she's like, I can, I can almost, almost reach it. Yes. And she fell down the chasm. Yeah. Which That's dragged. This word, the grasping. Because then he started, I can, I can just get it. And that's when, what's his name says? Good you got it. <laughs> um, and to that, to that um, comment, it makes me wonder what the intent was of this particular word, only because of the context. So, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, and possibly even evil desire all seem to have a sexual component to them. And then covetousness kind of gets thrown in on there sort of separately. But the one connection that I can think of is in the list of thou shalt not covet, the last one, I think, is your neighbor's wife. So, mm -hmm. it seems like it's a natural progression. Yeah. It's like we're coming out of sexual immorality then we're stepping into covetousness, and then which is a big category. So he's not limiting it only to sexual, sexual stuff. But yeah. nonetheless, 
I think that that definitely raises the bar there because I think that, you know, like I said, every man in this room can read that list and go sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, good, 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 good. Oh, covetousness. Hmm. Hmm. You know, that's a little harder. And I think one of the, to your point, Isaac, there's a, there's a midrash or whatever on covetousness. And that's such a great little illustration. They say it's the, um, the best way to fight it is the, um, is there, is to imagine yourself as a pauper you know, in medieval whatever ages, who wants to marry the princess. And it's like, this is obviously impossible. It's not for you. That's not what you get. And their response to say, the reason they use this, this illustration, they're saying the answer to covetousness is that everything that God has given you is all you can have. God's not saying like, well, if you worked a little bit harder or did a little bit more, or if you asked me a little bit, it's like, then you could have all this other stuff. Or if you lie, cheat, and steal, you have all this other stuff. It's like what God gives you is literally all you're going to get. And all you should need. Right. So wanting it's more. Like the American yeah. Well, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't you shouldn't work for more or whatever else. My point is to say the point At is to that say that point like, in time, that's what you have. Right. To or be to content with you. Yeah. What is your motivation behind that? Because working right. hard and saving or watching every penny or yeah. what, whatever that is. is yeah. Even, is it to even, provide you know, for your family, or is it to right. get a new BMW? Or I get it. Everything I get it. Well, hey, something wrong with buying a BMW. I, I know, and we were just talking about that. Well, and there, the, the, when we did that class a while back on on that last commandment, the tenth commandment of you know not coveting, it was clear from Judaism's perspective that they needed. They almost waited until there was an action that began taking place before they counted it as. Like the the sin, right? right that that right. you've transgressed right. that mitzvah. You're thinking about where it, it's you not begin about scheming, it. that you've started mm -hmm. putting plans into place in order to perhaps take something Steal from someone else, or yeah, that. or or to acquire something, or to not let someone else have something that you wanted, right. so that you both don't have it. You know those types yeah. of things. And, and uh, Rick, uh, Rick, um, Greg Upham's uh, comment on pathos is that it leads to violence, death, or unnatural acts. That's a great uh, just summary of, of where we're going with that. Yes, sir. Well, there's also an important qualifier at the end of the verse there that, it, that explains the greed or the covetousness. Mm -hmm. Because it's, it's why it's there. Yeah, because yeah. it amounts to idolatry. You put something in place. We're ahead God. of God. Right. That's exactly mm -hmm. right. Yeah. And we're to be grasping for things above, and not things right, yeah. not things here. Yes, yeah. I think verse six is spectacular, constantly overlooked. Before we get there, Gregory. Well, so I, I wanted to get your thoughts on I, I when you look up some of these individual words. It's interesting to see how often they end up in lists. Just like this yeah. one. That, that especially all, from Paul. Right, especially mm -hmm. from Paul, but there's, there's one in Mark, and they're, they're kind of, it's it's just interesting that the words are often used together, but they also are accompanied by other lists of, of uh, right. items in lists. And so I was curious, do you think that means a lot of these things put together, or do you think it's more of an attempt to say, even if one of these doesn't apply to you, we're going to catch you on another one? That kind of idea. I, 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 I don't know what the rest of the guys think, but I tend to think it's the, it's the former. Uh, I, I think that there's no temptation that takes me, but such as is common to him. And him. And you can put it in a list. It's all the same. We're all guys. We're all humans. We all have this same 
tendency. The, the flesh is, is pulling. And I think it just depends on which way the flesh happens to be pulling in that particular season in your life. But I'm, I'm older than anybody in the room. And I think these are all regular things. They're regular temptations. They're regular issues. And to your point, not all at the same time. It's just which one's higher there. What do you guys think? Plus also, I think these are um, one of the important things that in terms of these lists for Paul, as you're about to read verse 6, kind of encapsulates the reason why they're lumped together. Um, I, he, he's, he's hitting on, on sins that are particularly serious, on sins that are habitual. So, because when you think about like what he's, well, go ahead and read verse 6, and then I'll just, yeah. we'll go from there. So, I, I think verse 6 is, is, is a seminal part of his argument. And we gloss over it as if it, it you know, oh yeah, by the, by the way, the wrath of God's coming because of this. This is, this is absolutely central. If you are in Messiah, the wrath of God no longer rests upon you. It's not Satan that we're concerned about. We deal with Satan here. It's God we're, we're scared of. The fear of heaven is what we should have. And the wrath of God is going to be poured out on the world. This is the gospel. The good news is it doesn't need to be poured out on you. Because the wrath of God no longer rests upon you because you are in Messiah. That's so important. That's critical. This is fundamental. This phrase is as fundamental as Messiah came to save the world. This is the John 3.16 backwards argument. <laughs> For God so loved the world, he sent his son. The wrath of God is coming because of this stuff. It's the same thing. And we shouldn't slough over that. Because we've got a lot of friends. We've got family and friends that are not in Messiah. This has nothing to do with keeping the Torah, in my mind, in this context. We have friends and family that are not a Messiah. The wrath of God rests on them. For this reason, the wrath of God comes. Because everyone has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. There's, all men are without excuse. Somebody say, amen, he's weakly. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. It's sad, but this is the case. So when Messiah comes, what happens to the elect? They apparently appear with him in glory. Appear with him, glorified in some fashion in Jerusalem. What happens to the non-elect? They die. Really? Well, actually, like they have a worse than death result in the end. Really? Well, wait, we're not talking about the end. We're talking about right then. In normal time. Let's say he comes back on Friday. They all see it. Saturday. Shabbat, they're all, you're in they're Jerusalem. All gonna, they're all going to bow before God. Mm, well, Every knee shall day. bow. At least temporarily. Whether it wants to or not. Right. Ooh. It seems to be an unpleasant kind of... I think there's a comment about shattering the nations like pottery. Or that he will rule with a rod of iron. It's not going to be a pleasant time. But that's not nearly as bad as the wrath of God. Because that doesn't come till the end. Yeah, it just gets worse. It does. 
So if you live to the end, it's that Armageddon thing. If you don't live to the end, well, it's that, you know, separation of the sheep and goats thing. Oh, never knew you. I'm sorry, your name was? Yeah, not on the list. Sorry, you need a reservation. There's no room in the inn. For real this time. <clears throat> right? Okay. The, the reason why I, I, I think those particular commandments do get lumped into a situation like this, though, is because they're so identifiable of someone who's not in the kingdom. And thinking about, like, as you pointed out, all of sin is possible to glorify. Absolutely. But as we all know, even once in the kingdom of God, when you're following Messiah, we still sin. We still have moments of lapses. No, either. I, I grant you that. But if you go back to no, the... No, but I was going to finish with saying that, like, but, but these sins... Typically, special. well, it's not just that they're special. It's the idea of if you go to First John, we're gonna get there later. The important thing to focus on is how is your lifestyle characterized, and these types of things characterize a lifestyle. You mentioned the alphabet soup of uh, deviant behavior. I mean, literally proud of the things that they do, and it's how they define themselves. Yeah, it's exactly. So it's, it's like when Paul is highlighting some sins, it's like, well, you know, A, B, C, D, like. If you're in one of these categories, like Bad you have some news. serious soul searching you need to but do. But you're going forward to First John. Let's go back to the mountain. Let's let's talk about what what was idolatry. Idolatry then, same now. This is bad news. You're putting something or someone ahead of God, worse in place of God. So what we're getting? Yeah, we're breaking what the first three commandments. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you're, you're just knocking them down here like hmm. bowling pins. So. Uh, Bad news, um, and, and I think that's that's Paul's Jewish mindset, saying all these things, which is idolatry. It is interesting to me that um, covetousness was mentioned here. It's mentioned in First Corinthians, I believe, as well, greed or whatever else. Um, and it's funny because with all those immorality things, I think it's so easy for us to think that. And I think the best example that I can think of is Sodom and Gomorrah. So traditional Christianity has always used Sodom and Gomorrah as an excellent example of what happens to a homosexual society. Sexual deviant behavior. Absolutely. That's actually not why God judges them. Right. Well, the reason why they're judged is actually because they were so selfish, they refused to be hospitable, and they refused to show charity to anybody who needed it. Right. And the tradition holds that their immorality was actually acts of violence essentially to scare strangers off that they didn't want to share their wealth that they had and that in the prophets is why god says he judges sodom and gomorrah so when you think about it i mean just to, just to bring it home for us it's like remember we'll look at the alphabet soup be like well i'm not doing any of those things thank goodness um you know but for the grace of grace of god but then on the other hand it's like well but if all you can do is all day long is think about the stuff you want to buy like You've got just as lethal a problem. Right. It's just being expressed differently. I've got so, all these barns and right. all my, my stuff stored up. So if I'm looking at the two different categories, um, say sexual immorality, impurity, passion, all that, and then I look at the other side where it's like the anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, a lot of those things like slander, wrath, anger, those are more things like I feel like you could be caught up in a moment something and you could like correct that on the spot but I feel like things like sexual morality or impurity things like that are things where you've taken multiple steps to get to that point and put aside what you know to be right or you're making a actionable or you're making a thought out action 
towards something. Like you, you've kind of gone beyond just a surface level where somebody cuts you off in traffic and sure. now you're angry. Yeah, and you and you mouth off. Exactly. But, but I think that's exactly where Paul's coming from, right? Because in the beginning list, he says to put these to death. Like you can't do that. Yeah. In in the other, in the second list, you need to put them away. Mm-hmm. Cut you off. And I was just going to parody um, what was mentioned earlier with regards to these aren't just a one-time thing. These are this is a labels that you have developed that people, when they see you, they're like, oh, yeah. oh you are a gossip or, oh, yeah. you are sexually yeah. immoral in this area. In, but that's going to be applied to the other side. I mean, somebody who's always anger, angry and yeah, the, the, and he can't always tries to mouth. Yeah, well, temper. Proverbs says we should not keep company with an angry man. But just throughout there, the, the Paul is, these are actually two different blocks. So the first block, put to death therefore is earthly in you, on account of these, the ones he just mentioned, the wrath of God is coming. And then verse 8, but now you must put them all away. And then he kind of almost creates like a new category. It's almost like, like category 1 is, here are like the really serious things. These are people burning in hell for this well, one. Well, the verse, other ones are the things verse that seven, you might do, but you should definitely put them away. Right. Verse 7, in these you two once walked, implying, but now you don't. Right. When you were, past tense, living in them. Ooh, bad. But you put that stuff away. You put that to death. You've been raised newness of life in Messiah. And now, like you said, new category. So now... So seven, you're saying in these. You're talking about first The previous five. ones, yeah. yeah. Now, you're not living like that anymore. That's that's not your practice. And then eight and to is your point, also to these. You could, you could still be doing some of these other things, yeah. which is sort of a spill-off of those other deals. Right. It's almost but like you need to put those away. Stop right. doing it's almost that. Like, it's almost like advanced... Like my wife says, don't use crap anymore. <laughs> Sure. It's like it's like advanced. Uh, it's like it's like the advanced class, right? So like you, he Paul's basically saying, so here's all these things that you should definitely get rid of. And by the way, they're not. They shouldn't. It's such worrisome of you. Like they should not even become close to defining now. And in fact, that's so far away. Like I mean, that should be a slam dunk. You're not doing any of those. By the way, some things you might think are you now not as bad or excuse. Here's a list of other things you definitely should not yeah, be doing exactly. either. And I think that's really important because those that, that first category, sometimes, especially as a believer, especially in the world we live in today, it's so easy to feel like, well, I don't do X. And you just, I mean, literally cannot see your own sin. Yeah. Because it's so you're so caught up in what constitutes egregious, gratuitous sin that you just feel like, well, I'm not doing that, so everything else is okay. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but God's, it's almost like, it's like the reverse of what Yeshua said. Remember Yeshua says talking about, Take the blank out of your own eyes, so then you'll see clearly. It's almost like all you can see is the speck in the guy's eye, and you can't even see the plank in your own eye. Um, and that's kind of what I think almost like Paul's getting at. Like, okay, you, you shouldn't, definitely shouldn't be here. And, oh, by the way, here's a long list of things that you might think are not a big deal that are actually a problem. I get a kick out of spending time with Scott. I'll ask him for counsel in a particular matter. And I'll, I'll say, uh, thinking, I'm... I'm taking the high road here. You know, I'm, uh, I'm thinking that we can we can just do this, and he just he's got this way where he just kind of smacks his lips a little bit and kind of kind of looks at me. You can tell he wants to say we don't act that way, but he says something kind like, "Well, perhaps it would be best if." And he fills in the blank. And you're like, yeah, that sounds so righteous and, and like good. How come that didn't come to my mind first? 
Yeah, it's such an annoying guy to work with. <laughs> all right. Well, this is great. And I, I think we're all on the same track here. Um, the, the concept here, and I, I think that Jonathan's mentioned a couple of times, you know, up, not here, putting off the old self with its practices, putting on the new self, there's a change. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm always surprised when I hear... Uh, ardent believers in the church today uh, asking a new person that they've been introduced to. Um, so, Isaac, how did you come to know the Lord? Or, well, would you like to share your testimony with the rest of us real quick? Sure. Yeah, <laughs> right. Or, uh, so how has Messiah changed you? And you can tell right away if they're a believer. Because if they're not, they go, uh... Uh, <laughs> yes, did so you want to share with us how <laughs> no, so back to the, going back to verse 8 that that was a good thought so I was wondering though when I read this it was almost like and I, I might be out of order but I started thinking maybe these are the things that lead to the others mm. you know so as opposed to like yeah even if you you didn't find something in that last list that applies to you here's a list of easier things for you to get caught up in but I started thinking, so, and I was trying so hard to remember where it was, and I just found it. So in the Letter for the Ages, yeah. Rambam's letter, mm -hmm. he specifically references anger a couple times. One of the times he says, this will prevent you from anger, a serious character flaw which causes people to sin. Amen. And then uh, another time he says, whoever flares up in anger is subject to the discipline of Gehenna. And then he quotes Kohelet there. So... He's got a couple things about like casting anger from your heart and how this is, is one of the, the biggest hindrances to humility, which then Paul later references in another list, a good list. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that was, that was one way that I think this could potentially, we could view this. And it's interesting, too, that it does include the obscene talk. This is apparently the only time this is used throughout Scripture. Correct. Um, but, and, and a lot of the commentaries on that just seem to lump a lot of things into that so not just swearing but even just like idle speech which i thought was so interesting to hear from a christian perspective the interpretation of that because that is all over judaism especially on shabbat but even other times like if your table doesn't have words of torah you know talked at you know then, yeah. then like what why did you need it's like you to idols What's right wrong with exactly yeah so so I, it's it's a really cool and unique word i think here that that ends up being used that we kind of take note of amen i i won't be dogmatic about it but i think you can go both ways i think that that last that second list can be what's left over if you've been pulled out of the first list okay and i also think that that second list therefore as you said can lead right back down into mm. that first list. Okay. yeah either way right so it doesn't matter which, which side you're looking at, which side of the coin you're on. I think Paul's comment here to these guys is, oh, phew, thank goodness, this stuff's gone. But let's, let's, let's clean this stuff up, okay? Because you know, you know, some of the stories you guys were telling us, it's just a little rough for me to hear, you know, kind of thing. But it can go the other way and bring it right back down there. And in this list that he's putting in here, I mean, to Greg's comment, I mean, this is so Jewish. 
Oh, it's yeah. so interesting because, of course, the Torah gives you all these very hard, concrete, halakhic te- uh, commandments. Um, doesn't have a whole lot in there necessarily. Things like anger, but Judaism's like side teachings, the commentaries, especially um, I think more modern stuff, especially as you're starting getting more into like sort of Hasidic type things. These types of things become very important to yeah. them, and so it's so interesting to me. I think I made a comment earlier that it feels a little bit sometimes like Paul is about thousand years ahead of his time in terms of like the the ethical questions he's wrestling with or the so. jews today are just slow on the uptake well, maybe Don't. but he's he's got like the slander slander huge i mean hofetz Chaim literally has an entire book right. on how to deal with evil speech yep. uh do not lie to one another the uh the sages com- the midrash i think it is of the sages commentary on um the tr- the the situation between joseph and his brothers they actually go so far as to practically commend the brothers for the verse that says they could not speak good to him to go so far as to say well at least they weren't lying you know they just they couldn't they couldn't say anything good so yeah. they just didn't say anything at all and it's like that like and that's kind of like a rev- funny twist on it it's like if you can't say the truth don't say anything at all um anyway so they um like these are so jewish and it's so interesting to me because of course they feel so christian um, because they're not as much, um, you know, emphasized and as explicitly or specifically in the Torah. So it feels sometimes like these are like, you know, Christian commands that, sure. yeah. that have been made up by Paul. But actually these things fit in so well with the Jewish ethics that are designed to give you the lifestyle you should lead to really keep the Torah correctly. And if it's going back to the very beginning of the study, if we believe that Paul just made stuff up out of whole cloth, then something's dramatically wrong. He should be illuminating what he's already been taught, what we've already heard mm-hmm. from the mountain. Mm-hmm. And, and to your point, he, he does over and over and over again. So verse, uh, we'll jump to verse 11 or we won't, uh, we won't finish tonight. Um, my verse 11 starts with here. Josiah, did yours, does yours start with here? A renewal in which... Our renewal. Yes. A renewal. A, A. A renewal. Yes. The new self. Which, the new self from the verse before, exactly. Go ahead. I was just going to say, which, as we talked about last week, is italicized. Yeah. It is, is this text that's been inserted to, to try and the help us, right? Right. Um, so... What's give me verse eleven in your own words? Let's do that. Somebody, somebody, give me that. Can I start in verse ten? No. <laughs> there is no distinction. All uh, we're all the same. All can be saved. Who are we? Who are the all? I need you to be specific. Give me there a is statement. No difference between Jew and a Greek. In but there is eyes, a difference between a Jew and a Greek. But that's just. God's eyes. <clears throat> well, there. Now wait a minute. When Messiah comes, he's going to gather his elect from the four corners of the earth. The chosen ones. His chosen people. It says here. Yeah. Right, but the here's not here. Right. Here's not there. So, I would almost say. No, you can't talk. I need on. the younger guys to do it. I know you know the answer. <laughs> How young? Talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> come on. Come on. Give it up. Um, 
Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, slave and slave. What, what's he trying to say? Well, I, I'm thinking that, in a way, man, this is a hard one. Hmm. It's not the fact that we're all the same. We are, we do come from different backgrounds. Okay. Because that could be a Jew or it could be a Gentile. Exactly. It could be a barbarian, Scythian, <laughs> which... That's a guy with a really, really, really big curved sword, isn't it? <laughs> Who carries a Sith? No? Oh yeah. Um, so, yeah, we are, we do come from different backgrounds. We may have different views on certain things. If we have the same views on something, never mind. Uh, that's really hard. But so it is. What's, what's trying to communicate to you? After saying all the bad stuff, and by the way, this other stuff that could be bad is going to be bad because it could lead to that, and it's maybe left over what this was. But the bottom line is, <laughs> Micah, help him. I got nothing. I'm sorry. You I, don't have I'm nothing. You just you got 50%. There is of it. no difference. Be- I would say there is pretty much no difference between a Greek that believes in Yeshua and a Jew that believes in Yeshua. Now you like added the detail. Because there is a difference uh, between a Jew and a Greek. There is a difference between a barbarian and a slave. There is a difference between all these things. Unless... Depends on the perspective. Unless they're in Messiah. And then, God, the playing field is equal. But specifically... I got... He, he tried to come in. Then you... But I, I shut really, you down, I really so we'll take him. So, <laughs> what'd you have? Did I have some? You're done now. Okay. Two okay. slow. <laughs> the standing of all is equal. Of in, all. In Messiah. Thank you. The standing of all in Messiah before God as, as, a, as a, a concept of righteousness mm-hmm. is all in. Mm-hmm. Because our righteousness is not based on who we were or what we did or didn't do. Whether you were part of that first list or not. Our righteousness is based on the finished work of Messiah Yeshua, period. So it doesn't matter if you're a Greek scholar or a Hebrew scholar. Harpazo, that was cool, man. It doesn't matter. When it comes to righteousness and who the elect are, they're going to be grabbed up from the four corners of the earth. Are you in Messiah? Or are you out of Messiah? Nicely done, sir. Oh, now you're back. Well, you now, did that before. I was no, now you're at, now you're second base. Are we in the same? Yeah. Okay, so in, to play off of that, it's not like standing, but the standard. Your comment in your in the in this discussion was asking about the what's the standard, what's the application. I want to I want to go back to verse ten now that we're on a new a new question, and it says that you are putting on the new self, right. which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, the image of God. This is here. There is. I think it'd be more clear in, in modern English to say, where there is, so in the image of its in the image of God, where there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, city, slave and free, but Messiah is all and in all. In other words, mine says where there is. Yeah, that would be that's a great translation because the idea being that like is a really good that the image of the Creator is where we're all equal because we all look like Him. Now that means that the definition of being godlike godly would be the same for all these groups because it's all compared to him right and his walk and his walk therefore this greek and jew 
have not only the same standing in Messiah, but they had this. They must have the same standard of righteousness. Otherwise, it looked like you know God A, God B. Mm-hmm. But there's or, only one or, image. Or, exactly right. And in today's vernacular, since that's icon, not icon, but icon. If you make an icon, or if you make a shortcut to a, it's it's identical. It relies on the original. If you delete the original, the icon, the shortcut does not work. You have to have the original, but they are identical and they do the same thing. When you open that one, you open the the copy or the icon, same deal. And if you if you copy and paste your, you know, word or whatever. No matter how many times you copy it, it always looks the same. Amen. I definitely agree. And just to add on to that, John Gill has some really interesting... So he, he takes this a little... He plays off of the word all a little bit more and points out, because he's a Christian commentator, but he points out that the Jews actually refer to the Shekinah, or the, the spirit, as coal. All. Oh, oh. And then uh, he points out that the Kabbalists, actually, that is one of the names of Hashem, is hmm. this, this version of all. And so he points out like how this is maybe even some proof of the divinity of Yeshua. Oh, cool. That's because neat. of the way that Paul is putting this, where it's like, all so all. he's in all, that means he's infinite, immense, and incomprehensible, yeah. just like God, meaning they're both one, meaning like the whole thing. Right. Anyway, right. so he, he kind of takes that and runs it a little bit. <laughs> In a cool way. That's cool. That, that's good because there's that idea. Judaism doesn't believe in pantheism, obviously. No. But it's almost like the reverse. Pantheism. Pantheism believes that the that everything is God. So you know the rocks, the trees, they're all God. All pan, all is God. So Judaism's view is almost like this is simplifying it a lot, but almost like the reverse. It's almost like everything is in god it's almost like we it's almost like we're which is the opposite of panentheism which is god in all right so it's almost like all is in god it's almost like almost like we're all just one giant dream of god as it were not really but it's like but but doesn't it make sense in a weird kind of kind of way then when you read that i think we read this already that he holds all this chapter two Mm -hmm. he holds all things together by the power of his will Hello? That's exactly what you're saying. Right. So it's like, it's almost this idea, because I think like, Judaism is very careful to say like God's not in a place, per se. It's not like, you know, he, he might... a place. Yeah. Hamakom. But, you know, but he, put, he represents himself there, but it's not like that's where he is. Right. God is sort of everywhere and nowhere all at the same time. And um, so the idea of Messiah being all and in all kind of definitely fits in with that idea of this God being so... Um, uh, uh, so everything, I guess, is really the best way to put that. Basically, there's no, he's the only thing that matters, right. and so the same. He's with only independent being, right? Everything else are dependent beings, and the definition of an independent being is that if an independent being ceases to exist, all the dependent beings must cease to exist. Why? Because they're dependent. On him. If you listen to Geisler's uh, lecture on on God being a simple being, it will pork your brain. It's unbelievable. He's indivisible. He does not have parts. He is one. He's a unit. He's simple. 
if he had parts, then you could break him down into subparts. But you can't because he, oh man. And in the same way, he, everything's in him. Because through his will, he holds it all together because he made it. Because he's the only independent being. He, he, in the last two minutes of his argument, goes from that and says, oh, by the way, you can't have two independent beings. Because if you did, they would be the same. If they're the same, they are one. So they have to differ in one way. And if they differ in one way, then the one that differs from the other must be lacking what the one has. And if he's lacking, he's dependent. He's, dependent. he's not whole. He's not pure. He's not one. He's not simple. He's this and almost this much of this. And he says, so Messiah is one with God. They have to be the same. In two persons, and then he gets weird, but what's his deal? Oh, awesome stuff. All right. Let's move on. That was uh, that was brain crunching there, wasn't it? Let's see if anybody's jumped in. Uh, oh, my. Greg is just having a blast here. Um, I'm sure he is. Yeah. Greg, <laughs> Greg says Proverbs and Psalms speak a fair amount about the different character traits and behaviors. The phrase that Messiah is in all reminds me of the Hasidic idea that the sparks of Mashiach are in all God's people. I was thinking about that before. That is great. And our job is to bring those together. That's cool. Yeah. Um, Acts 17, in him, in him, we live, move, and have our being. Outstanding, Greg. I wish that thing would make noise when you post. It'd probably be better if you're sitting in a chair, man. But, you know. Okay. Well, that was great. There's only one more paragraph because there's really only two paragraphs in this whole chapter. Not that the guy's long-winded or anything, so. Who wants to uh, give me uh, 12 until I stop you? Please, sir. But on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has given you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Messiah rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of uh, sorry. Let the word of Messiah dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let's stop there, please. Comments on the first part of that before I jump on the back part of it? Um, what version are you reading now? ESV. Mine says filled with thanks. I thought that's pretty interesting. Is that uh, the back end of 15? Um, yes. And being filled with thanks. Well, it's the same thing, right? If you're thankful, you're full of thanks and you're yeah. filled with thanks. Okay. That's cool. Any other comments on the first part? Um, compassion, kind, humility, meekness, patience. Almost, I mean, that is almost a direct quote of like the Midot in. That's the, right. In Musar teaching, that's right, which uh, are are all things that we should be working on for yeah. sure. I mean, and then yeah. yeah, if you haven't done that study with us, it's online, but it was uh, spectacular. What's the name of that book? River to Musa, is that one? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the whole. The that's whole one. Yeah. So, oh, oh. Well, okay. There's a couple different things. The one we did, so, Mesalat Yasharim. Mesalat Yasharim. Oh. That's what it was. Yeah. And, and 
from there we did the we we referenced uh, the Rebbe Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good stuff. It's good stuff. So yeah, it's uh, step by step. We should become better and better men, and fly off the handle less. And all notice the things. contrast. We had a list. I mean. The previous one was anger, wrath, malice, slander, of talk, lying to one another. Yeah. This one is ca compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving Perfect one harmony. another. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a Coca-Cola song. I was just sick of it. But it's but if you think about it, it just makes it makes that harmony possible because he says, and above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. People talk about unity all the time. But the biggest problem that we find too often in in relationships, in business, and whatever, is everyone thinks that I have to put in my share. The reality is the way that God works is everyone has to put in 100%. Everyone does everything, whether the other people are doing what they're supposed to do or not. Right. Miraculously, other people oftentimes start doing what they're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And suddenly this relationship works really well. That's just like the model that God has put in the universe. It's hard to do. It's not easy, but it typically works most of the time. Amen. And it's really only hard if you're looking at what everybody else is doing. Right. You focus on what you got to do. It happens. Yeah. Same remember, thing, by the way, in marriage. Uh, yeah. I, I remember uh, Ray Lappin, I think it was in his Buried Treasure book. He had specifically referenced the idea of where it's like the minute you think that someone else should is um, greedy or, or doesn't uh, isn't is, is stingy that's when you need to give more to that person specifically like his, he like kind of flipped it on his head where it's like the minute you recognize something that bothers you about someone else that's when you know that yeah. you need to do the very thing that you want them to do yeah. uh, always giving hundred percent not thinking in the whole time like oh hopefully this changes that person but but actually sincerely doing it um, and how that will change not only the way that you look at other people, but it will it will further instill kindness and, and humility. Ancient Jewish wisdom. Yeah. I love it. That's great. Okay, so I need you to tell me what verse 16 is all about. I don't need the admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, because uh, I'm already starting to do that. I've got my... Uh, we need, right? Yeah, so I'm good there. That first part. What does it mean to let the word of Messiah dwell in you richly? What does that mean? And you got to give me some context. You can't just pull it out of thin air and say, "Oh, me to follow the Torah." I'm sure it does. What, where'd you get that from? It dwells in you. Would that also relate to you? intently studying or sure. it's just a party yeah you're meditating on it meditating you're, you're living it you're you're speaking it it's just oozing out of you yeah I, I can get into that. Uh, what what about the what about what it is that is in you yes sir. In you're gonna have to speak out again dwelling in you instead of drawing on instead of you drawing on it as in learning from it it's drawing in you Okay. Speak it to other people. Okay. And teach others. So you got it's it. Coming it's coming out of you. Forth. I got it. I'm with you. You guys have the back half of this down cold. I love it. I'll write a book about it. What is it that is in you? What is it's, it that uh, is oozing out? What is it that I'm telling other people? What is it? The love of Messiah. The love of Messiah. Maybe. The word of God. 
The word of God. Maybe. Yes, sir. It's when the Torah is written on your heart. Wow. When does the Torah get written on my heart? When it's not written on the tablets of stone anymore. It's written on the fleshy tables of my heart. Why? And Ezekiel, one that Greg Upham always quotes, right? What verse is that? Anyway, yeah, let me answer. He's probably typing it. Yeah. The word of Messiah specifically teachings all derived from the Torah. Yeah, we're looking for where you always quote from Ezekiel. Come on, Greg, you're 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 a half a text behind. I was thinking that in Paul's context, when he talks about something of Messiah, okay, he more often than not, I feel like is referring to Messiah's. So we're talking about the Gospel of Messiah, word Messiah. I'm thinking that it has to do specifically with the the message of Messiah. That it's it is the Messiah, you know, died, resurrected. We're all in Him. We have our our righteousness in Him. That whole idea. If you think about it, the way that fits into this context is He's talking about let the peace of Messiah rule in your hearts, to which you are called in one body. Ezekiel be, 36, by the way. Thank you, Greg. And be thankful. And it says, let the word of Messiah dwell in you richly. And almost almost like saying, like, let the gospel change you. Don't just simply let don't just simply like know it, think it, believe it, hear it, but like let it let it permeate the things that you do. Let it be the way that you live. I don't want to argue with you. I think you're exactly right. And I think you're just as right as these two young men. But you keep saying it, and I've got this indefinite pronoun reference, and I want to know gospel. what it is. Good news that Messiah saved me. That's not going to be oozing out of me other than to share my faith with someone else. Well, and if you pair his phrase, the word of Messiah, with Romans 10, 17, I think that's further support that it's okay. Torah because it says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the through the word of Messiah. It's the same phrase? Yeah, the word of Messiah. It's the exact same phrase. But again, I think that goes back to the... My reason why I use the gospel there is not to say that it's oozing out of you so you're sharing, but more that, like, throughout the, the first three chapters here, one of the things he's been trying to emphasize is... Change life. Well, change life, but why? Change life because of Messiah. In other words, no not question. changing life because no you question. disciplined yourself. No question. So it seems to me like he... This reminds me of the, the verse that he says something else, you know, like, um, like living out your faith. Walking out, you know, almost like prove yourself worthy of this. I get that, but in this case, he says, Let the word of Messiah dwell in you. I want to know what word it is, what words they are. What is it that I'm supposed to be meditating on, dwelling upon? Yeah. The Torah of life lives in you. I, that's the right answer, but you need to prove it. We all agree already. I mean, we've been getting here 40 some odd weeks, 45, 46 weeks. We, we certainly believe that the Torah is that guide for life. But what does this mean? Does this mean that we should be memorizing long passages of Scripture? Is it the Torah we should be memorizing? Maybe it's a proverb a day. If, if it's the words of Messiah, he didn't say that many words. We are saved through his actions, not his words. All right, I'm ready. Here he goes. Do you see that? A little smack of the lips. <laughs> <laughs> I think another way of saying to emulate 
what Master did. Walk as he walked. Do what he did. The word of Messiah, if we think back to John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, the mm -hmm. word was with God, mm -hmm. the word was God. Mm -hmm. Is this another way of saying, not necessarily the words, the devar that he spoke, that he spoke, but he himself, let he himself not just dwell in you, it's richly dwell in you. Dwell in you so much that you emulate the master in all that you do. I can work with that. That's exactly what everybody's been saying, especially you. So you don't feel like I, I snuffed you out there. And you guys. But I like that. The, the way you're, you're bringing it back to the beginning of John and using word more as identifier of not only what he is, but who he is, how he lived, and so forth. He lived it, what an image of the, of the living God, right. and so forth. He lived out like the However, it, no, does, it oh. does seem like Paul doesn't shy away from using that phrase elsewhere. Right. Let Messiah dwell in you. Yeah. You know, like, like it, this just seems unique to be using the word the Messiah word, here. The word Messiah or the word word? The word. The word. The word. The word word. The word, word. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, Paul just, he doesn't seem to have any problem yeah. with, with describing, I mean, he just finished saying so, that Messiah is all and in all. You know, I mean, so here, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't know. I think it's so interesting. I think it's morphed to it. So the, the other context, just like, I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, no. <laughs> um, the other context, like Greg was mentioning, uh, Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Messiah, which I think sounds like a saving faith type concept. Later on, he mentions the word, this is 1 Corinthians, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. Um, he also has Philippians 2.16, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Messiah, I be proud that I did not run in vain. Um, then Colossians, we just read, um, he also mentions in 1 Timothy 6.3, if anyone teaches a different doctrine, it does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Messiah, Yeshua Messiah, and the teaching that accords with godliness, so there it sounds like it's words that Yeshua has said in First Timothy. The other ones, the word Messiah, I guess I was seeing it as the message of Messiah is what he did. Not so much specifically like something he's saying to do, not so much his lifestyle, but more that like to, to Mr. Martin's point, like it's dwelling in you richly. In other words, it's like it is, it is supposed to be changing the way that you live because if you've been saved, if you've been redeemed, then you should act like it. And if you've been saved and redeemed because of Messiah and not because of something that you did, whether it's circumcision or whether it's, you know, beating yourself as you crawl up the stairs on your knees, you know, then that's going to change you in a different way. It's not going to change you to simply be ascetic, 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 yeah. but it's going to change you to be godlike. That was, anyway, that's my view. Why, why would he use the word gospel then? Because he, he uses that word all the time, you know? Because that's basically what you're saying. Right? Like mm -hmm. it's a, it's a, okay. What what uh, what Greg is saying here is that, and, and this may be the same as what you're what what all of you are saying, which is essentially <laughs> the same, um, that he's our Rebbe, that we need to own his teachings, none of which are at odds with Judaism. Um, and as disciples, we should be hanging on all his words, teachings, and customs. Um, that have been recorded for us. John chapter 12, 47. And if anyone hears my words, but does not watch over them, 
I do not judge him, for I do not come to judge the world, but he says it. That's the other word for the word where I remember yeah. is that word. Mm-hmm. It's the same use of that. But I don't know if that actually fits in. But he who rejects me and does not receive my words has one who judges him. The word that I have spoken shall judge him on the last day. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And who is coming? It is Yeshua. And Yeshua is salvation. It is his whole life. It is everything that he's ever done. It is his obedience, his sacrifice, his blood. It is the essence of everything that he is. To us as well, and He is our salvation, and He is our Yeshua, our Messiah. He is all, and He is in all, and part of us there, and that is that Messiah, that Yeshua, that salvation. It's what it's all about. That is the whole point. And I think if we pick up the seventeen, the book tells beautifully there. It says, "In whatever you do, in word or deed." Do everything in the name of the Lord Messiah, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Okay. I can work with that. I don't think there's a, a in everything that's been said, a right or wrong, there, there are nuances of how we should act. He starts the beginning of this chapter with some hard punches. <clears throat> Here's a, here's a pretty tough list, guys, and a lot of you were there. And you need to put away this stuff, too. Oh, man, right? Whatever you do, everything should be seasoned with love. You should be walking this way, and everything, everything, everything you're grateful for, everything you've received, everything you haven't received, everything you want, everything you do, every breath you take, should reflect in some way your gratefulness. Be thankful that God has saved you because of the work of our Master. That's how I would summarize it all. It's it's not a right or wrong what happened or what was said. It's more of those nuances of how much of his life, work, words, actions, mimicking can we put in our life? So when people come in contact with us, whoa, I like this guy. Why do they like us? Not because we're selling dope. Not because we're going to wake, you know, food. Not because, none of those things. It's because we're reflecting the holiness of our God, of our Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. All right. Whew. So, Todd, did you want to... Uh, did you want to elaborate on children obey your parents in everything? Or did you want to pass on that to me? Probably we didn't run out of time before we got to this <laughs> section. Scott, did you, did you also want to? Oh, that's great. I thought we should hit uh, 18 and 20. 18 and 20, yeah. I'll let you read those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just kind of, kind of skip over 19 there. <laughs> you first. <laughs> yeah. Who do you think verse 22 is, uh, is written to? Yes, yeah. me. Yeah, I think that uh, he certainly has in mind folks like um, 
Onesimus and Philemon and, and those guys with the bond servants and the masters and so forth. Um, but we need to recognize that Paul's made it clear that he's a bond servant of the master. That whole, I could go, but I'm not going to go. Stick the all in my ear. Nail me to the door. I'm not going anywhere. Um, we're, we're, we're supposed to be bond servants. We're supposed to be acting like that. And I, I'm haunted by the parable the master tells about the uh, servant who works all day out in the field and then when he comes comes in from the field he has to cook his master dinner and you know you expect something cool like wow well done thou good and faithful servant and he's like you're completely unprofitable all you did was what you were supposed to do I mean what's up with that well you all you do is work all day and then and it Come on. Yeah, oh, great. I'm in deep doo-doo. All right. Verse 23 is great to have your employees memorized. Mm-hmm. It's a new perspective. You're working for yourself. You're not working for the company. Yeah, you are. Yeah. Always working for God. Mm-hmm. Amen. Mm-hmm. And for what he's blessed you with, an opportunity to provide it. Amen. And in capitalism, you get to provide for other people as well. There's a guy I work with who um, is one of the hardest working guys I've ever met in my life. He is just relentless. And he came to our company with his four kids and literally had nothing. I mean, he was literally mowing grass just to make ends meet. Mm. And the you know, whole family, he came from a background where he made a bunch of money for restaurants and all that. But I kept asking him because he got into a point where I mean, he was killing it, making really good money, more than he ever made in his life. And yet he was still not like, that That fire was not going. And he, he he's a Christian. And I, I kind of asked him one day, I was like, what, what it, don't you ever get to a point where you're like, all right, I can kind of turn off and take a day off He's like, no, I, I feel like if I do that, what opportunity am I leaving on the table that God has provided me? Yeah. Where's the fine balance between that? But yeah. it, I found it very interesting. We just looked at it as this gift. God had given him a gift where he'd come from. Like We found it later on. He was leaving work and going mowing grass places. Like, it, it was incredible, but he just looked at it with a whole different perspective. Always had a positive outlook on it. And if you look at it as though you're not going to work for a paycheck, you're not to build wealth you're not looking to please your company but god has blessed me with this opportunity like it takes on a whole new meaning proverbs 10 uh, god blesses us with wealth and he gives us the opportunity to make wealth and given that opportunity we shouldn't squander it and, uh, the day is short soon the night will come and we're out of time i like be calling people in california Three hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, I like I liked, uh, Tim Keller's comments um, in his book, Every Good Endeavor. He kind of talks about the idea that every job that you work is partnering with God in creation. <coughs> it's like the, 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 the janitor cleaning the toilets is making the world better. Very, very Jewish Making it more complete. Right? Yeah. Tikkun Olam. He's a crazy Christian writer, but yeah, very Jewish concept. And I think that that's, that's exactly what you, know, you guys are talking about. Um, I also thought here too is verse 19 the one we want to talk about husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them um, reminds me a lot of 
of Judaism's take on husband responsibilities to their wives um, doesn't necessarily mean that you can never tell your wife something is wrong, but um, kind of like um, filtering that one, you know, it's like read your blessing. Yeah, and it's like thinking like, okay, so maybe I don't, I don't know. So I think it's how to say this. It's like it almost feels like you want to um, be careful how you say it. You want to make sure it's something that you that really is an issue or not. I don't know. It just seems like it's like it's like it's almost like put up a roadblock, you know, slow yourself down a little bit first before you say anything. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that wives do not need to be commanded to love their husbands. I think they do that. I think it's, it's in them. It's, they're designed to do that, and we are blessed for it. Um, but we need the uh, admonition, a strong reminder. I'm not with them. Um, actually, it's Joshua's father who uh, gave you... Proverbs 31? Proverbs 31? No, Joshua's father. I've got something on Joshua's father for Proverbs 31. I thought you were going to Sorry, no. So he said one word, and it was expectation. Yeah. And I think in this line of do not be harsh with them, mm-hmm. his advice was don't have expectations. And that is so broad. Not having expectations of when you come home, things will be perfect. Not having expectations of things are done a certain way. Right, right. And I think there was a Jewish proverb where it talked about like the husband who wanted the the window seat, wife wanted the window seat, but they was offering it to the other person. They found out later on that they were constantly offering it, and they really wanted to be in the opposite seat. But all those years, they were both sitting in the wrong seat because they wanted to please the other person. And I think it comes along. If you don't have expectations, also if you are yeah. constantly looking towards pleasing them, then you will always make the other person that you'll always lift them up. Amen. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to a Rebisa Chungers for the good eye. It's like, like that's really, I, in my eyes, what I really see here is it's like just really being careful with criticism. Like, it's not wrong to tell your wife that something that, you know, we have, we have to have talk, right? I mean, that's not a problem. But it's like, you know, those critiques, <laughs> small critiques, the ones that you think are not a big deal. My goodness, you can destroy somebody with those, yeah, and they can be good to others. Yeah, and exactly. it's just like to be really careful about those things, because um, yeah, like to your point, it's like oftentimes the issue is that we 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 have we have ridiculous expectations, maybe you don't even realize they're there, and then something slips out, and we and then we realize immediately, oh, I should have never said that. Your dad, <laughs> and you realize you were wrong the whole time. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, it's not like I have it's not a legitimate critique. That's my point. Your dad. Uh... Your dad's take on, on Proverbs thirty-one is that um, we, you should you should always treat your wife as if she's she's maxed it. There's thirty-one she's got, Bam, nailed it. Even if she hasn't, because that's that's that goal. That's what you're looking to, and it encourages her to to fulfill those. And in so doing, you're loving her because you're you're showing her and and giving her support. And yeah. That, that, you know, you just see her in perfect light. And uh, that's been a really uh, strong enabler in our marriage. The idea of love, too, is, is very difficult because the fullest expression of love, according to the Master, is laying down your life, you know, so it's it's like embodied in this idea is the idea of self-sacrifice. It's mm-hmm. the idea of selflessness 
And that is definitely the hardest aspect of marriage. It's like every single day, it's not about you. That's right. It's about her. That's right. And the family. Uh, and the family. But that, that is uh, the, the consistency there. I, I think it was, I felt very adequately warned before getting married that that was necessary. Yeah. So I, it, was, it was excellent to hear um, from this group, actually, before getting married. Like, it's every day. Like, there's yeah. never going to be a day where you just turn off. Like, it's, it's a consistency. Um, and, and knowing that, going in with that in mind is, is very beneficial, I think, for anyone that's getting married or someone that is married right now and doesn't know why something might seem amiss. Yeah. It was a class Never let your guard down. I had a couple of classes. I was also going to add to that is when you don't have the expectations and you aren't harsh with them or you're not constantly breaking them down over things that are not done, but rather, what we talked about earlier was you are, like you said, assuming that they're already doing all those things. Yeah. It creates in them a desire to do it. To do all those to things. Fill, to fulfill those things. Exactly, yeah. because now they're not feeling condemned for what they've not done. They're not feeling like they've fallen short, mm -hmm. but now it's like, oh man, this person is so gracious with me. I want to do everything I can to please yeah. them. Yeah. They didn't even say anything when I forgot to do that, and yet I'm never letting that happen again. They didn't say anything, but I knew they knew. And yeah. It's a completely different mindset. Yeah. And it gives you the opportunity to love them and to build up. Unconditionally. Which, almost like that, which is what we learned from the master. Um, you know, uh, um, someone like self-fulfilling prophecy too. It's like when you see someone treat someone like they're perfect, then suddenly they become perfect. Yeah. And I think, kind of what we were talking about earlier, I think as men, oftentimes, what I think Paul's really getting at here is not so much like some of those legitimate hard conversations that sometimes need to happen, but... But definitely all those things that, that we sometimes just see and we're wrong. And the thing is, we're too stiff-necked and stubborn to realize we're wrong. And so we end up doing damage to, to our wives, um, saying things that were hurtful, maybe not even realizing they're hurtful when we say them, yeah. um, only to, to think about it later, you know, and realize, you know, not only did I, should I have not said that, but I was wrong. That really wasn't a big deal. And it's like, oh my goodness, like what kind of awful results have I achieved for nothing? And and that I think is really, to me, is what I think Paul is really getting at um, in here. And it reminds me, it's like verse 21, you know, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged, you know, and it's, um, and it's, and it's and, but it's, but at the same time, see verse 18 and 20, wives make your husbands, children obey your parents. It's like I was saying earlier, if everyone's giving 100%, suddenly you don't even realize you're giving 100% anymore. Because it doesn't matter if anybody else is doing their part no, because score. you're feeling right. You're That's feeling right. No you're feeling the whole jar by yourself, or you feel, but you don't feel like that yeah. because that inspires other people to do their part, and suddenly the relationship is harmonious. And isn't it interesting how certain days the other person's giving more than hundred percent than you are, but you constantly see that ebb and flow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If we look at yeah. the world today, and you look at marriages today, which don't really last that long. Um, they could take a couple of pointers here because I think what Paul has touched on are some of the, the weaker aspects of each gender. You know, So the, the wife does not desire to submit. The wife may not love. The husband normally does not love his wife. And so, so uh, the children 
certainly don't want to obey. You know, mm-hmm. the whole deal. So we see this regular deal going on here. And if we just flipped it on its head, it would be gone. Final comments, gentlemen. Nice, good discussion. I really like Paul. Yeah, he's, he's a wordy guy. He's a wordy guy, but uh, good stuff. We'll uh, we'll finish up Colossians next week, and uh, I'm excited. Um, depending on, you, you probably want to read Colossians and Philemon for next week, because I'm, I'm probably going to put them into the same lesson. Uh, you think we're going to do one chapter? Colossians and Philemon. Fourth chapter of Colossians, you mean? Fourth chapter of Colossians, because we've done the first three chapters, so do the fourth chapter of Colossians, which should be a little shorter. Uh, a whole lot of goodbyes and stuff like that. And then we'll do uh, Philemon as well, which is only one chapter that I recall. Yeah, I think Philemon is like the second shortest book in the air. Third John is uh, is kind of tiny. Second John's not too long. Philemon's pretty tiny. So, yeah, I think we'll, we'll just look at that. We'll just read both of those. And if we get to it, we get to it. If we don't, uh, but I'd like to kind of speak along here, especially if there's not a lot of halakhic stuff um, that, uh, that sticks out. Let me... Uh, let me pray for you. Father God, thank you for these men, especially the young men. Uh, I thank you for helping them in their walk. And I thank you, Father, that they helped me so much in mine. I pray, Father, that you would find us faithful to be dwelling in your word and in the concept of Messiah and what he's done for us. In so much, Father, that our very breath would just be filled with praise for what you've done for us and how you provide for us each and every day. We thank you for all the many blessings. You're so very, very generous to us, especially here. Father, we, uh, we pray for our, our walk this week that you would uh, constantly encourage us and uh, spur us on to good works. I pray, Father, that uh, you would find us faithful this week to reach out to one another and encourage each other to good works. Thank you for the time and the privilege to come together. I pray these things. B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach Anani. In the name of Messiah Yeshua, our risen Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you, man.